Hello, and welcome to a special episode to announce the launch of Pax Britannica, my new podcast on the history of the British Empire. The following clip is from the first part of the first episode, which uses a composite character, in this case a textile merchant, to illustrate how vast and interconnected the British Empire would come to be. If you enjoy this clip, please consider subscribing to Pax Britannica, either through one of the links in the description of this episode, or on social media. Alternatively, you can find Pax Britannica on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify, and eventually on Google Podcasts and Stitcher, once the admin goes through. So, without further ado, please enjoy Pax Britannica. The sun is rising over the bay as the man looks out of his bedroom windows. The bay is calm, with barely a ripple of imperfection across the entire stretch of water. His maid, who had opened the curtains in the first place, continued the daily routine by returning to the man's bedside with a trolley laden with the usual fare and the morning's broadsheets. As the maid leaves her employer to eat, he opens up one of the folded papers to read the day's news. The paper brings word from all corners of the Empire and beyond, transmitted by telegraph through the undersea cables, the thin red line. There is a triumphant passage describing the ongoing construction of the most advanced battleship in the Royal Navy. The HMS Dreadnought will guarantee British naval supremacy for a generation, the author exclaims. The Viceroy of India, Lord Curzon, has announced the partition of Bengal in an attempt to ease the friction between the Muslim and Hindu inhabitants. There are also more reports of the shameful events in Russia. The Tsar's soldiers had opened fire on protesters. It was a surprise they still even knew how to fire their guns, since their utter failure against the Japanese, the man thought to himself. Just as he folds up the paper to begin his day, he notices a small piece about two Americans who'd created some kind of flying machine. The novelty of it all cheered him as he went downstairs to his offices. The man is a businessman, a merchant and loyal subject of the British crown. After all, he owes his prosperity to the Empire. Alongside the latest news, the thin red line brings the latest prices from a dozen far-flung markets. His main products, textiles, were fashioned out of New Zealand wool and Indian cotton transported to Britain along shipping routes protected from piracy by the Royal Navy. Once they reached the mills of Lancashire and Manchester, they were woven into their finished product and exported back along those shipping lanes and out into the world, earning our businessman and his investors a tidy profit. The resources, the trade networks, and the markets were all, in one manner or another, a product of Britain's imperial might. He had never served in the military himself, but both of his sons were commissioned as officers. His eldest was a lieutenant in the army, and had served during that unfortunate business in the Transvaal not a few years ago. Thankfully, he had no role in those appalling camps. The youngest was a midshipman in the navy, and had yet to see any real fighting. Even now, he was stationed at some remote naval base in the Pacific, gambling away his pay and allowance. As the man reminisces, he looks out the office window. That view could be anywhere the Union Jack flew. This isn't any particular cloth merchant, and he could be one of millions of British subjects. 
He could be living in Toronto, looking out over the waters of Lake Ontario. He could be in Cape Town, or Melbourne, or Bombay, or Alexandria. His office could be in any number of cities in Britain itself, perhaps Liverpool or Portsmouth. He could even be in one of the number of countries whose governments did not formally answer to London, but who were highly integrated into the British system nonetheless. Each of these far-flung places were connected by a political, financial, or cultural ties. For a subject of the British Empire with the means to take advantage, the world was open for business. It is October 1905, and the British Empire is unrivalled on the international stage. The Pax Britannica, the British peace, is at its height. That's all you get for now. If you want to hear more, follow the links in the description, or search for Pax Britannica on your chosen podcast app. It starts in familiar territory for History of Witchcraft listeners, the Tudor period, and over the next few weeks there will be two episodes a week to set the stage before the narrative takes off, with James VI becoming James I. I hope that everyone will follow me to this new podcast, since it will still be me. If you enjoy the history of witchcraft, not only for the subject, but because of my brilliant style, cutting wit, and humble nature, you will enjoy Pax Britannica just as much. As I said last time, though, the history of witchcraft is not over, merely on an extended hiatus. I hope you all enjoy my new project, and thanks again for listening. <laughs>